Hi, it's Jasmine. You know, that girl who did you know what way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine St. Clair. All aboard! Thank you so much for joining me for a brand new episode of Crazy Train with Jasmine St. Clair. This week's guest is someone, um, you know, I decided to get a a little bit selfish because he's hot and I wanted to talk to him. Plus, he's also a fellow adrenaline junkie, just like I love my motorcycles and betting online at betonline.ag. Of course, don't forget, betonline.ag. You too can be an adrenaline junkie like me and take risk and stuff by betting online or riding motorcycles or like my next guest McBlue he races cars which is pretty good and he um he also does porn which is even more amazing as long as he doesn't like injure the necessary parts so let's welcome to crazy train Nick Blue I'm so excited to have you on because one of the things that drew me to McBlue was the uh, second place at the NASA TT6 championship and that's a big deal like race car driving, motorcycle racing. I, I love American flat track, by the way. So this is what drew me right in. How did you get into this? Uh, how did I get into it? Is, um, okay, when I go, when I do back paddle, right, uh, everything started somehow in Austria when I was a kid. I always liked uh, the adrenaline and the speed. And so Austria, car racing or karting, go-karting was not really that big. So I started ski racing. And the reason why I bring this up is because the the parallels, you know, are between racing skis and car racing is very similar because you you kind of like you have to work with the momentum mid corner, and in in both sports you do that. So I did ski racing, and then when I came to the United States. Um, after a few years, I decided to dive deep into go-kart racing. And I did that with Jim Hall uh, Racing School in Oxenard. Uh, for about two, three years, I raced the 100cc tech carts and the 125cc tech carts. And I think that was a really great um, baseline for car racing, you know. And then basically after three years, uh, I set my focus on bigger race trucks, bigger cars, a little bit less hard on your body. Yeah, I don't get it because you also have this very long career, lengthy career in adult films, what is it, like 20 years? And then you're doing this. Don't you ever get scared that, oh shit, I might like screw something up. I may not be able to do anything, um, you know, my adult film career if I squirt my arm or my leg. Yes, of course. I mean, you are a professional in the in whatever you do and you kind of like like you say being a professional in the adult industry you kind of like you need to take care of your body and if you hurt your arms limbs or whatever whatnot it can be quite unfortunate you know um so i you're gonna laugh now i usually choose <laughs> sports where i don't really hurt myself and I know I do car racing, but the, the cars, we, we have full and roll cage and all that kind of stuff. So I feel quite safe. 
Um, I wouldn't go motorcycle racing, even though I love motorcycles, because you don't really have like like a crash zone, right? And then with jujitsu, I feel like it's a it's an amazing sport, you know, great for your mind and your body, and you can choose um, which directions you go, you know, like. Are you going to tap if you come to a situation where you think like, okay, I can hurt my arm or my leg with that? You know, it's like, yes, of course, it's better to tap because if you hurt yourself, you can't train for three months or six months and you can't work. So I think it really depends what kind of decisions you make in your life and the way how you choose to do those extreme sports that you are drawn to. Yeah, I like the adrenaline junkie. I think that's what drew me to um, for motorcycles and flat tracks. So I get it, though. I know one guy that had a really bad crash and both hands were broken. So go figure. And these things are fluke. You don't know who's driving in the street, even, like when you ride in the street, you know? Uh, yes, and it's great that you say that because uh, coming from Austria, I love to go fast on the streets, you know, because we have... Our police officers were a little bit more lenient than in the United States and like speed limits were a little bit different. So we were driving quite crazy on the streets. But now that I'm in the States and have the opportunity to go on the racetrack, I think everybody, if you really want to go fast and stuff like this, it's so easy nowadays, especially in America, to, to go to a track day, get your speediness out on a racetrack where other people everybody drives the same direction, you know, and you have crash zones and all that kind of stuff and you don't hurt people uh, as you would do on the street if you go fast. Yeah, I, you did mention something interesting about the cars. You're saying that they have a crash cage or something to the side? Like, wh what is that exactly? Was there something that if you open up that like a net comes out or what was that you were describing before? Uh, so it's... Uh... It's kind of like, um, let's say, if you go to a track day, you can do that with your regular car. You know, it's like whatever you want to drive, you can do it on track. There's no racing, you know. It's literally just like getting familiar with the track or go as fast as you want within safe limits, right? No, no. Uh, with time trial, it's kind of like uh, we have cars in our class that don't have a full-on roll cage. Uh, and are still able to compete, but you need to have all the safety gear and whatever, whatnot that protects you. Um, my car is because I'm also racing. So it's kind of like we have our tight competitions going on with other cars. And if you race against each other, uh, crashes can happen or contact can happen, you know, that nobody really wants, but it just, out of nowhere, right? It can can happen. So you, we have cars or regulations of wall cages, how much, how thick they have to be, how how they basically uh, need to be built for each car and all the kind of stuff, you know? So it's, it's like when you sit after in the car, it doesn't matter from which side you would have an impact. You're basically in inside of kind of like a metal cocoon, you know, yeah. uh, that keeps you safe, even if you have a full-on impact. 
But if that metal, if the impact is so strong, have you ever seen one of those metal cocoons break or like explode? Uh, not in, not with those cars that we are racing. I mean, keep in mind, um, I'm not racing super fast cars. So the speeds, the speeds we drive, I would say the maximum speed we drive is maybe 120, 125 miles an hour. And most of the time, our high speed is about 115. And that speed sounds a lot, but even if you crash it, doesn't really do I mean, I haven't really seen any of the cars that we race with or that I raced with are being so destroyed that the roll cage wouldn't hold in the car. Yeah. I think I watch too much like MotoGP as well. And I think of bikes all the time and like things happening. And I've seen enough car racing, but I've never seen anything go horribly wrong yet. And yeah, then- I mean, when they when they put these regulations in, they, they do crash tests and they want to make, I mean, they literally tell you how thick it has to be, where it has to be. So it's, it's kind of like it's a whole plan and it's like a whole homework that you have or somebody put into your car in order to have it safe, you know? And it's a good thing because, yeah, I mean, something could always happen and you don't want to hurt yourself, right? Yeah, I just, yeah. I, I was... Mot- I motorcycles to- are different. I mean, motorcycle, you have your body. Your body is the crash zone, you know? And they're, they're amazing to drive, but if it goes wrong, it can go horribly wrong quite fast. Yeah, I'm like, I'm a bit aggressive though. Like I do sound the horn more than I should. I've kicked in a few windows. Um, like, people are dicks. Like, in a car, okay, race car, it's one thing. When you're on your bike, you're, like, exposing yourself to every dick face out there driving. Excuse the English. Uh, and of so course, yeah. But everyone's an asshole, especially in L.A. with Teslas. Like, I cannot stand a Tesla car driver. I literally want to rip your balls off because you have none. You're in, a, in, in this car, this electric car, like, honking your horn at me, like, can I just put my hand in and rip your head off? And that's the first mistake I made when I moved here. I came back from Europe and I pulled someone out of the car. So in Europe, you could do that. But the thing is, the cop had to explain to me, man, you cannot do that here. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. You people suck. (laughs) Yeah, America's a little bit more Hippocratic. And uh, I want to come back to the Tesla thing, you know? Yeah. Um, because you're not the first person that says like people who drive Tesla, you know, they're, they're like very much like dicks when they change the lines and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, many times they don't drive themselves. Right. So it's kind of like the car does it for himself. So oh. what if, what if Elon Musk <laughs> fed his intelligence, you know, into the AI of the Tesla? That would explain everything, you know. It's like why they drive like dicks, you know, and why they change lines without looking twice, you know, because he just uh, in embedded himself, you know, into the mind of the AI from the car. That makes so much sense. I like right? that. That is a hundred percent true. So Elon Musk, the reason why these Teslas suck is because it's Elon Musk's intellect, or maybe just his way of thinking. He put into the car during through the whole AI. I, I don't think. He's listen, that listen. Elon Musk loves himself so much 
<laughs> I mean, it, 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 it would be a huge surprise for me, you know, it's like if he wouldn't do that. I mean, let's just be serious, you know, it's like he loves, he loves social media. Uh, he's always on the chitty chat and whatever, what not, you know, I mean, it's like, I mean, if you have the opportunity to, to kind of like um, implant part of you in something that you produce, that's, I think that's something he would do. Yeah, you know, you're right. I think he's had like really bad surgery too. Um, it's like one of those, those like face tights that you go into a wind tunnel and it goes like pulling your face back like 80 years. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I think I'm going to try to engage with him on Twitter. I'm going to always call it Twitter, by the way. It is not X to me. Uh, I will try to engage with him on there and discuss this with him. Maybe I'll get kicked off. We'll find out really soon. But what's interesting is you have this great career. I mean, coming in second place at a car race, like a championship like that is a big deal. Do they know that you have your adult film side? Do you find that the two worlds collide at any point in a bad way? So here's the thing. When I go out there or when I started racing with this organization, I didn't, I never go out there and say like, hey guys, I'm here now. I'm doing it all, you know, so that everybody knows. Uh, I'm kind of like, you know, it's like I'll, I go in there, quiet, do my thing, have fun, get the people to know. The fact is that usually it doesn't really take long, you know, that 80% of the people wherever I go, they find out what I do. Because it's like, it's all, all the, always it takes only one person to recognize you. And then they talk to the others. Hey, do you know? Hey, do you know? Hey, do you know? And then in the end, everybody knows. So uh, to answer your question, um, no, everybody is super cool. Very nice people. They know what I do. Um, some of them are a little bit more silent uh, about it. And some of them are like, hey, man, it's cool. What's new? You know, what have you done last week? And whatever, what not, you know? And... Uh, the other funny thing is, since last year, when I bought my own race car, um, we made it a bad dragon mobile, right? Or that's that's how we call it. I mean, in social media, they call it like that because bad dragon. I don't know if you know the company. It's a it's a it's a fantasy toy company, and they basically they sponsored me already quite some time. But since last year, they really went in as a main sponsor. So we wrapped the car with their company logo and all that kind of stuff. And last year, the Nationals, people literally came up and started taking pictures of the car because they knew the company. You know, it's kind of like an insider joke for them. How do they know the company? What are they doing at home? Well, what everybody does. I mean, it's like, let's just, let's just be serious. You know, it's like if you if you think if you think that we live in a world where people don't watch erotic content let's call it like that okay. or where people don't masturbate no matter what gender uh lives in a in a bubble you know it's like it's it's a fact that people do that and it's good that people do that because every time they have an orgasm it puts a smile on their face and in that case, they're doing something great for themselves and something great for the world because if you're happy, you're not going to fight and you're not going to do stupid shit. Yeah, that's kind of true. 
you've had a pretty long career in porn so far, 20 years. Is this all what you always wanted to do when you were from Austria? Did you want to come to the States and become an adult film star? Or did you have other aspirations? I mean, no, I had, I had different aspirations. Like I, I started a regular um, work life in Austria and all that kind of stuff. Um, and didn't think that I'm going to end up full on dive into the adult industry. Um, was it always like fascinating for me? Absolutely. You know, um, did I many times think about it? Okay. If whatever I'm doing, if it goes wrong, you know, I'm going to try to be a porn star or something like this. Yes, of course. But then remember we are in Austria. You know, it's kind of like sound of music and all that kind of stuff, you know. Yes, that's Austria, you know. It's kind of like, like they they live in a, or there, when I was young, it was in a different world, you know. It's like we don't have stores open Saturday, Sunday, everything is closed, you know. It's like if you want to try to buy something after 6 p.m., you have no luck, you know. It's, it's a different way of living. And now you want to start doing porn and you look into it, there is nobody shooting porn in Austria, or at least no great company so so it's it's like it was an idea and then i didn't think about it and then i just stumbled into it in a way where i saw an announcement on the newspaper where they were like asking for males to participate in a kind of like a gangbang thing and i was like well you know what i mean it's like they have five girls and maybe 30 guys and they're filming it and sounds fun. So I paid a hundred euros and I participated there. Didn't really go anywhere with that, but it was fun. It was a great experience. And then a year later or so, I, I got a phone call for a different thing. And then it like slowly started to tumble, you know, but I don't know if you want to go into that deal now because we would probably talk too long then. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's interesting, but I'm just really wait. What what year was this? This this what what year was the, that film with the five girls? Um, I think it was. I think it was even. It was even either eighty nine, nineteen eighty nine, or nineteen ninety nine. Eighty. No, Yeah, nineteen ninety eight or nineteen ninety nine. I'm like a long, a long time ago. No, I'm seriously offended. Like who? Ninety-eight. Who the hell are these people to call thirty guys and five girls on gangbang? I mean, these are people are amateurs. Oh, it was and, amateur. 100%. Yeah, well, they, that's that's a real that's a high offense. Like seriously, uh, that's uh, that's like an <laughs> insult to certain people. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah really. So moving right along. Yeah, what I saw in Sound of Music, there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. I would rather live in a world like that where you have the yodeling and you have the mountains and the, the cows and all these other cute things. What has been your secret to success for 20 years in the adult film business where you won performer of the year, like what, three years in a row, two years in a row? Yes, three years in a row. I was actually the first in the history of porn who did that. Yeah. Uh, to, to the one it three times in a row. Um, and there are only, like only Manuel won it six times. And then uh, as far as I'm informed, Lexington Steel won it three times and Evan Stone, I think won it three times and myself. And that's it. 
Evan's still, okay, I could see that. That's that's interesting. So now it's you. And what has been your secret to having such a long career? I think the secret is to, to see the business or, or the industry professional. You know, um, in order to have a longevity in the industry, you need to take care of your body and your mind and and see it as something real that you do. You know, like I see a lot of, a lot of newer guys coming into the industry and they, they see only like parties and starting to date with girls and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they are not consistent afterwards when they go to work because of their lifestyle. And I think, I think uh, most of the time, talent become their own biggest enemy, you know, in any kind of, not, not just in the adult industry, you know, but in any kind of industry. And staying away from your own biggest enemy is definitely a, like a recipe for success in our industry, if that makes sense. Oh, completely. I mean, you're very well spoken. So if I met you outside of here in the street and we were speaking, I would have no idea or inkling that you were involved in that business. Because I could tell you just coming in from the 90s, it's a lot of them are train wrecks. Um, yeah. A lot of them were train wrecks then. The AVN parties and everything. Yeah, they were fun to go to. But who really wants to have drinks and do a bunch of drugs with these people? Not me. So it's a, it's a very... Um, it's a very interesting, it was an interesting time. Do they still have the award shows? Do you go to those? Yes, of course. I mean, um, we still have the award shows. We still have AVN, uh, like in Vegas. And then our Expis mm -hmm. is usually mm -hmm. one week or two weeks prior in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. Um, and... Do parties still happen at the AVNs in Vegas? Of course. You know, I mean, it's kind of like parties never really go away, especially if you go to Vegas where everything is served on a silver platter, right? Um, but what changed a lot, like I would say in the industry itself, you know, over the past 20 years is that now most of the industry is owned by the internet nerds, you know? Right. That's how I call them. You know, it's like everything, like the, those those guys who basically, when the internet came out, you know, they, they they figured out how to make traffic, you know, and how to use the internet and, and clickbaits and whatever, whatnot, you know, and they are running our industry now. Versus twenty years ago or thirty years ago, it was you know like strip club owners or in Europe, you know. Uh, people who owned nightclubs or whatever, whatnot. It was a different um, kind of crowd of people who got involved with the industry and made money with the industry. Versus now, in 2023, it's, everything is corporate. It's literally like, you wanna, if you want to produce something, you kind of like, you have to go to X amount of hurdles. You have... Uh, dozens of pages of model releases and consent forms and whatever, whatnot, just to make sure that everybody is uh, on the same page when they are at work, that their needs and their boundaries are respected. Um, and looking, looking at this time machine, as I can almost call it, you know, I'm very, very pleased and very, very happy that the industry, um, uh, 
changed to that because it just created a much, much safer workspace for everybody. I guess. I mean, I don't know what a real safe workspace was. Uh, everyone was tested. I was a total bitch to everyone because I don't like anyone touching me unless there's a camera rolling. That's the way it should be. So boundaries like that are set where, you know, a, a girl shouldn't have to fluff a male performer unless she really wants to. And that pressure should never be there. You know, if exactly. you're yeah, I you agree. with your shit up and if you have to take an injection or a pill, you do that. But uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that things are safer in that respect. Um, I'm still kind of still sitting here brewing and offended by a gangbang with 30 guys. It just makes me think, what did I do wrong? So if I wanted to do like a 700 guy gangbang now, I guess it's got to go through corporate levels. Is that what you're saying? Like things are much more um, like professional in that respect. Like you have to get things approved before they get shot. No, I mean, um, when I'm, when I'm speaking about professional or like a boundaries meet, you know, it's like, I mean, 700 guys is a lot, right? Uh, but let's just down. Everybody has fantasies, you know. Uh, I can understand that. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, the way how it is now is when I'm when I speak about boundaries being met and making sure that everybody is comfortable on set, is is that, for example, I give an example. The company I'm on the contract with, Brothers, right? Are yeah. uh, one of the biggest in the world. There, nothing sexually happened unless both or unless every involved talent in the scene has filled out and gone through a yes and no list to literally clarify anything that can happen or can be done in a scene, you know, is either yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. You understand what I mean? Yeah. So it's like it's like um, we have a talent liaison on set that makes sure that if something needs to be said that was not okay, that there's a person with an ear that is neutral and that you can talk to and that you feel confident talking to. Um, and and yeah, I mean, like you say, like for example, if you would be in the industry now and you don't you don't want to do anything if the camera is not rolling. It's totally fine. Like, nobody going to look at you and say, oh, man, she's a bitch because she doesn't want to do anything because the camera isn't rolling. It's like, no, people respect that, you know? And like you say, if you're a male performer, you need to respect that from any woman that you work with because you're there, you call yourself a professional, and you need to know your shit, you know? It's like, it cannot be like, uh, excuse me, director, um, I cannot do the scene if she's not going to fluff me for the next 15 minutes that I may be going to get a hard on, you know? I mean, that's not the way how it is, and that's also not the way how it should be, you know? Yeah, well, they used to make the makeup artist do my dirty work a few times. Maybe she wasn't getting away <laughs> too But I thought it was amusing to be standing there and watching, like, her trying to stroke the male talent. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, yeah, that would never happen now. It's like, like it's <laughs> because of me. We have to shoot a totally different day. It was fun. I kind of miss that, you know, but I, I don't know. I don't. I, I would so never... when, huh? so when, was, when was your last team? Which year? <laughs> um, 1999. 
uh, at the v Vienna Castle Theater uh, four times um, with actors like Udo Kier, who you may know, he's a German actor yeah. b known for, for Blade and all that kind of stuff, and and he's still going strong. Uh, so, I, so I was there four times, and I, I had the opportunity to be in front of the curtain when the curtain goes down and get the applause from the audience and the full house. And I mean, it was beautiful, you know. Uh, another opportunity that I got was, for example, 2017, I worked together with Sasha Baron Cohen on uh, an episode for Who is America? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember. Remember? Do you remember the the show yep. he had uh, for Showtime? Who is America? Mm -hmm. Sadly, my episode was never aired because uh, after six episodes, it was kind of like a political uh, intervention that they had to can the show, so they were not allowed to release anything more because who knows what he what yeah. it brought out, right? Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a great experience, and because I worked with Sasha Baron Cohen. I had the opportunity that I joined the union, you know, the SAC after union, you know, which I'm a part of. And it's like, I would have never gotten that if I'm not in the adult industry from That's Austria. That's for people. And it will, I mean, you, because you're not a train wreck and a shit show, it will do wonders for you. And that's the truth. And you're well-spoken. Um, it did wonders for me. When I quit, no, even while I was in it, but by the same person I fucked over who I was, I was under contract to Rob Flack and I decided not okay. to work one day, but he got me into ECW wrestling, which is a big company. Nice. And 25 years later, he brought his own wrestling company back. But despite our bad ending, I work for him now. So he runs shows every other month out of the valley, runs pay-per-views in Jersey. Like it just got me to Japan to go wrestling. So, you know, mainstream stuff I did on my own, but I was taking classes and everything. And it's it's a very it's widely accepted now if you're doing adult, but as long as you're putting in the work and, you know, doing things, other things. Exactly. You need to you need to put in the work, you know, and in the end of the day, it depends on your craft and the way how you represent yourself, you know. Uh, but that goes for many things, you know, and it's like, like you say, I mean, I have to say, I mean, it's pretty amazing that you did wrestling. Are you still doing wrestling or? Yeah, I still did... work as a manager. I'm a hundred, like, I'm a hundred and five and a hundred and eight pounds. And on my worst day, I'm like a hundred and ten pounds. That's when I'm really fat. Then um, I work as a wrestling manager in that capacity. So I walk out to the ring, I do the promos. Uh, I get involved in the math. Occasionally, I might get thrown out of the ring or, you know, pushed down by the opponent. But I'm always there with the wrestler I manage. Uh, I walk out with a Singapore cane, a kendo stick. Wow. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love it. I love beating people with that. So his shows are, yeah, once every other month here in L.A. And then they're in New Jersey. We just did one. Uh, I go to Japan for a different company. It's a lot of death matches. So it's a lot of blood, glass, barbed wire. And I, I like, I squeam. I just get squeamish about whenever there's blood. But I'm in the middle of it. It's That's awesome. Wild, you know, then I did the whole acting for a while. I was taking classes at John Ruskin uh, 
So I've done all these techniques and stuff. And, you know, there's no better technique really than, um, than life. And I'm sure you mm -hmm. can say that about yourself. You know, you've had a long life so far in entertainment and just an interesting life. So you could draw from everything from there. It's it's hundred percent like this, and that's that's what what I feel. I mean, I just starting taking acting classes at Margie Harper Studio. Oh, I went there. Yeah. So and it's pretty awesome. You know, um, I'm like in the intensive into no, intermediate intensive class it's for four weeks and uh, we do tuesday and thursdays and it's very um refreshing i would say you know um you learn you learn stuff that's for sure um like you say uh, it's definitely beneficial when you have a lot of things experienced in your life uh sources that you can tap into if you need to find uh, a character and now it's kind of like it's more like to getting used to this whole self-tape creepy crap you know which it's for a lot of older actors a big problem um and it's also like it's it's for me it's really new and like i till now i don't really like it to be honest you know yeah. Because I'm used to have a set, you know, it's like I'm used to have a set. If I need to imagine there is a table, I'm used to have a table, you know, or like another actress or another actor that I can feed from, you know, um, with the situation. So it's, and now um, you like have a camera in front of you with a light and you look to the side and that's about it, you know, like... Like you need to, you kind of like you need to create so much more imagination uh, and presence as an actor, I believe, with the self-tapes than yeah. Yeah. you would have to if you have people, you know, like even if you go on a live audition, you have people where you right away get a feedback, you know, or on set where you have everything uh, that, plays into the role you're playing i think that self-tapes <clears throat> like i just worked for uh it was tim allen's wife uh she they have a new show but i just worked with them the other day and it's interesting because we had this long conversation about self-tapes because it's destroyed so much of the live interaction with an actor and a casting person you can't make the adjustments because no one's telling you anything you're just sending in a self-tape with two or three tapes, right? So you have nobody telling you this is where they want you, not there, do it this way. So it's just, I mean, it's a great opportunity, but still, then then you have people not even memorizing anymore. Everyone's looking at teleprompters when they do these. Not everyone, but a lot of people have, and I don't like that. Yes, it's, I, th I think it just changed a lot. I mean, and the, and the point that you say, it's kind of like you you can't interact with the casting director anymore where it's like as an actor uh it's very important you know that you can make the personal contact to a casting director or the director there because they may be not going to use you for that one specific role but they're going to keep you in mind for something else that they do in the future and you have a chance to 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 get this role maybe later on you know uh versus self-tapes yes it can happen the same thing, but in the end of the day, I mean, look, 
self tapes. The great thing what they did was that people, no matter where they are, mm-hmm. no matter if they have a car or not a car, whatever or not, they can send in a self tape. You know, uh, so it opens opportunities for people. But on the other side, instead of let's say two hundred submissions you're getting now 1,500 to 2,000 submissions for one role. And what happens is that the casting director is not going to look at everything anymore. They're, they're just like, click, 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 click. Ah, okay, that's cool, you know? I don't even think you saw that if you send in auditions, that they're going to look at the whole audition. I think the first 10 to 15 seconds of your self-tape decide if they're going to watch the whole thing or not. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally true. And then will they even get to your slate? Cause so many people are asking for like your slate at the end of it. And in mainstream people don't really care so much about an adult build pass. It's become more and more acceptable with a lot of people and clearly you're working hard. So I know one day I'll turn on the TV and say, Oh, I know him. And then see, <laughs> it can happen. Let's see. Fingers crossed, you know. No, I, I'm. I have my toes crossed as well right now. It's painful, but I'm doing it. Uh, Thank you. So, <laughs> but what do we have coming up? On like, what's new? What's next for you? Any appearance? Uh, what's? Yeah. So, so what's next is uh, we just had uh, the opening of our. In Austria, Graz, they, they just made, um, how is it called real quick? Um, forgot the name. You see, I should know it. I am actually in a museum. Oh. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, cult, a cultural museum where they basically touch the erotic theme and all that kind of stuff and take it to a, a time change. You know, it's like over the last 30 years or 40 years, how it changed, what happened, stuff like that. And because it's in Graz, where I'm, where I'm born and raised, uh, they contacted me. And so I gave an interview for them and also helped them that they can use parts of the movie Wasteland, which I, which I played in, that was, in my opinion, one of those movies that kind of like changed the adult industry forever. Are uh, Because it was the first... Uh, adult movie of its kind that was done in a way to think about mainstream and they also went to film festivals mainstream film festivals and all that kind of stuff you know so so after that a lot of other directors started doing that anyhow so that's that was yesterday uh that museum's gonna be going till january then um i'm going to be part of a cooking show uh, that I did for OnlyFans TV. Um, I don't know if I can say the name yet, so I just won't say that, but, I, but okay. it's, it's, it is nothing to do with pornography. Uh, you literally see me cook and try to create a dish, you know, and make it in the next round, which was really, really cool and awesome. And then uh, in January, we're going to release our, it's an Austrian reality show kind of thing okay. that i that i played with and it's called uh in austria it's very good for hollywood okay. uh it's a it's on not the biggest national tv but it's like it's a sub national tv channel plus four and it will come out in january and 
I'm basically part of six episodes where, where they kind of like portray uh, Austrians who somehow made it in Los Angeles. So, so like there, for example, is a, is a uh, animal trainer, or uh, cooks, or regular schauspieler, or musician. And in the second season, they came to me and they said, like, hey, you have a pretty interesting life, you know, let's just cover it. We did cover the pornography a little bit, because it's part of my life, you can't lie it, we don't want to hide it. But uh, a big part that was covered was car racing, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and also my my mainstream are uh, my mainstream focus from here to come you know yeah i think you'll do really well with that and don't forget to take some improv classes under your belt as well to get some whether it's groundling second city second city is like the best i went to all of those but second city is where i think i had the best experience so if you haven't please make sure you get some classes under your belt for improv because it's it's changed my life completely. Not my personal Ooh. life. Well, that too, but yeah. <laughs> I met weird people in classes. And one thing you never do is you never hook up with someone you meet in an improv class because chances are if they're as good as you are, you're going to be throughout this whole program for like many years to come <laughs> and in your life. <laughs> If people want to find you, how do they find you? Where do they find you? So if uh, people want to find me, I think the easiest way is just to Google my name. If you Google XXX Instagram or XXX Twitter, uh, you should find me. Uh, you can find my Wikipedia page and you can also find my IMDb page uh, if you Google it. Oh, Which, if you don't. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why. I'm kind of like shadow banned on IMDb if you search my name, you know? That's so weird. Uh, what about OnlyFans? Do you have an OnlyFans page? Yes, I have an OnlyFans page. Uh, it's MickBlueXXX. Okay. And then, and then uh, I have another one uh, where you basically don't need to pay for pay-per-view. Or something like that, how you call it in OnlyFans. Yeah. It's a uh, Blue VIP. So it's kind of like you, you pay a monthly membership fee, and then all the videos that are on the site, you can you can watch them for free. Cool. Well, Danke schön. Thank you so much yeah, for gonna. doing this. I'm so I was so excited to meet you virtually. because uh, the whole race car driving is such a it's so different and such a big deal to me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you have a lot of things on your plate too, you know? It's like the motorcycle driving and the wrestling. It's very unique and awesome as well, I have to say. Thank you. And maybe it come back into porn. No, um, that's that's never going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to go after those people who did that gangbang and insulted me. Okay. Yeah. So on, on move around. Yeah. And if any of you ever want to do a gangbang, like a real gangbang, it's one person with a bunch of people, not five girls and 30 guys. That is amateur hour, my friends. Yes. With that said. And it was very amateur. It was very amateur, I have to see, say. That's coming from another expert. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I will let you know when this is up. I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah.